The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good morning and happy Tuesday. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Carl Quintanilla and Deirdre Bosa. Day two of Cloud Week is a big one. You'll hear from the new head of AWS, Andy Jassy's successor, Adam Solipsky, in just a moment. Plus, be there or be square. Why Bank of America says Jack Dorsey's departure from Twitter will do wonders for his other company. And finally, a short-lived rally, tech coming off its best day since May, but falling again this morning with the rest of the market over COVID uncertainty. Apple, the only big stock that I'm tracking that's significantly higher. Uh, plus, we'll get an update from the Fed chair. Oh, Carl. Uh, you're right, John. Uh, big leg lower here now. Dow down almost 560 points. We're going to start our feed with the markets. As we said, stocks are dropping on those comments from Fed Chair Powell and his uh, view. It is appropriate uh, to consider wrapping up the taper of our asset purchases perhaps a few months sooner. Who better to break it down for us than our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli. Mike? Yeah, Carl, clearly uh, investors thought that this uh, new COVID threat probably would have bought them a little bit more slack in terms of the Fed moving ahead with their uh, removal of, of accommodation and tightening eventually. The testimony today says not so much. Still, uh, already was a fairly cautious setup in terms of what's been working and what has not been working within the markets and within technology. And here you see uh, this performance split between the S&P tech sector, of course, dominated by the mega caps and the small cap uh, techs from within the S&P small cap 600. So you have this big divide that's opened up again. Now, keep in mind, it's happened before, not that long ago, right back in October. And then you did have some catch up moves by small caps uh, once again back in the summer. So it's not to say that we can necessarily just extend these lines out and say this is the way it's going to be. But clearly, this is the instinct of the market in times like this to respond to volatility by hiding in mega cap tech. Very similar story. If you look at the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100 ETF, again, very dominated by the top five. Uh, and then you have the equal weighted version of those same 100 stocks. That's actually a pretty uh, stark divide here. Not a lot of upside in the average or the equal weighted uh, NASDAQ 100 going back a few months, whereas you do have some extension there. So we've seen this pattern before, guys. Obviously, we don't know uh, if this is the kind of thing that's going to be enduring or if this just is a little scare and a gut check as the overall market kind of tests uh, the lows from Friday at this point, Dee. Yeah, Mike, and what we're seeing is sort of different than what we saw Friday when concerns over the variant first hit markets. There was that sort of clear uh, state home versus the reopening trade. Today you see shares like Zoom and Peloton, they are lower. And ever since we heard from Powell, and he sounded a little bit more hawkish, we're now seeing tech underperform somewhat. So a bunch of different factors playing into today's session. Yes, I, I do think that that was a little bit of an unexpected uh, blow in terms of having Powell not really try to ease concerns about this. Now, clearly, there's a lot we don't know. I don't think he went out there saying, uh, I want to necessarily uh, put the market on alert. Uh, for, but he is clearly thinking that he has to be seen as responding to inflation. A lot of questions as to whether 
the Fed can do anything to get to the sources of inflation if, in fact, they're mostly supply chain and pandemic related. But for now, the market already in a little bit of an off balance state uh, is not necessarily taking it uh, all that well, at least just yet. Uh, I think you should keep in mind uh, we are looking toward uh, Friday's lows, it looks like here, just under 4,600 in the S&P. Hey, Mike, we've been watching the VIX pretty closely. Yeah. Uh, we're not quite back to Friday's high, but we're really not that far away uh, at this point with the uh, in the 28 range. I mean, how, how much of a tell is it for those who are looking for things like all clears? Not an all clear, but at least uh, a semblance of one. Yeah. When you get one of those spikes, uh, it, it's sort of negated if the VIX kind of pops by, let's say, three or four points as it's doing right now. I wouldn't say negated, meaning all of a sudden we have to spill lower, but it tell, it, it's not telling you that you've reached a peak fever. But also, uh, I don't think it's necessarily as much of a leading indicator. It does show you there's a hedging instinct. It shows you that it's a bit of a slippery, uncertain uh, moment in the markets, people feeling like they don't necessarily have confidence in the trend. I'm looking at things much more like how the market responds. If we break to a, a new low, you get back toward uh, the 50-day average of the S&P is like uh, 45 30s in that area. That was also the September 2nd high. It seems like a lot of people would be focusing in on that to see if that's an area where you get a little traction if we get down there. Yeah, and over the last few moments, Mike, we've seen uh, indexes come off their lows a little bit. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that. And let's stay with the current market dynamic stocks. They do remain lower across the board. Uh, tech was outperforming after those Powell comments actually slipped lower than the Dow and the NASDAQ. Here to talk M&A IPOs, valuations within the sector, Wells Fargo Chairman of Global Internet Investment Banking, Bob Peck. Bob, good morning to you. What did you make of Fed Chair Powell's comments last hour? Did they surprise you at all in terms of its hawkish and potentially speeding up the taper. What does that mean for tech stocks? Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. It's great to be back on the show. My first hit since joining Wells Fargo. So very excited to uh, to be here. Um, you know, as far as the comments and what we've been seeing, I think you want to pull the lens back just a little bit first. The first thing to realize is, you know, the S&P is up 23% this year or so. NASDAQ up 21 or so percent. And that's coming off years since, since pre-COVID, up 60% for the NASDAQ and 40 for the S&P. So you've had a tremendous run here. And obviously, investors are thinking a lot about inflation, the new variant, um, but really going after growth and new TAMs and new opportunities. And tech has outperformed the S&P uh, over the period since pre-COVID, as well as uh, this year, as well as you see investors looking for uh, new growth parameters they can get and new new capabilities they can't get in the non-growth sector. So I think you're going to see tech continue to outperform here. You've heard us talk before about the COVID bucket or the work from home bucket. Um, COVID being a collaborative software and security, online commerce, video gaming, in-home services and delivery. What's amazing when you look at that bucket is, yes, it's up 140 percent from pre-COVID levels and 250 from the bottom, but still up 15, 20 percent this year, trailing the S&P a little bit, but still doing strong. So I think you'll see investors continue to look for new tech ideas. Right. That COVID basket and some of the darling names in that basket uh, saw a huge run last year. But as you said, they've come off their high. Where do valuations stand from your point of view? I know you said that you think that some of the COVID accelerated themes will continue into next year. Is that the case if we get a sped up taper and rising interest rates next year? Yeah, well, when you look at valuations, let's look at the S&P in general, you can see that the P.E. ratios are up a couple of turns, right, from the high teens to the low 20s. Same, by the way, with revenues and EBITDA, up a couple of turns. 
What I think is interesting is you look at throughout this year, those multiples have been very stable, right? So they increased going into 2021, but have been stable sort of throughout the year. And more importantly, throughout the year, starting in about April, you started to see a lot of earnings revisions to the upside, right? So you've had earnings growing faster. So therefore, when you look at these numbers, on a growth adjusted basis, you're looking at pegs around 1.3 or so, which is lower than where it was at the end of 2019. So I don't think you're seeing a value. I don't think you're seeing valuations get egregious. I do think you are seeing investors being discerning, looking for particular names where they see recurring revenues, large TAMs are going after disruptive ideas and really trying to pick the names they want to be a part of. Hey, Bob, uh, it's John Fort. W- welcome. I-, I think it might be a stretch, though, to say that even at the end of 2019, the valuations were seen as sober. So I wonder um, how much do, do these new TAMs uh, justify the new multiples? And is there going to have to be a lot of M&A in 22 consolidation wise uh, to fuel some of these names that are going to continue to be successful, perhaps? Yeah, it's a great question. And just putting it in perspective, those pegs of around 1.3, once again, looking at it at a growth adjusted, you know, puts you easily in line with where you were in 018, 019. So it's really the growth aspect there. And once again, I think they'll be on a case-by-case basis, right? What is the actual TAM you're going after? Is it EV? Is it Internet of Things? Is it AI? What exactly are you targeting? M&A, though, you raise a really good point. So as you probably know, we have 4.7 trillion of M&A this year globally. It's the all-time record in M&A. And in the U.S., we're on pace for about 2.3 trillion, um, another phenomenal year. So M&A, I think, is going to continue to be a big factor going forward. There's a couple things driving it, right? One is you've seen the PE and strategics uh, with tons of cash on their balance sheet. The tech strategics are looking for further ways to get engaged with their customers and better serve their customers, sort of filling out their portfolio of offerings. But the non-tech companies are trying to get more into tech as well as they see it as paramount to their future. So you're seeing it across not only the sponsor group, but uh, strategics in tech and non-tech as well. And when you look at the premiums that have been paid so far, pretty consistent with past um, with the past in 25% or so premium. So not egregious. I think the big question hey, there on the tech side of things will just be what can the large tech players do? Bob, let me uh, get us back to the hearing really quick as uh, Powell is commenting yeah. further on inflation. And those are highly unusual and very difficult, very nonlinear. Uh, and it's, it's really hard to predict those things. But that's really what we missed. And that's why all of the professional forecasters had much lower inflation projections. You ask about the taper. And uh, so, yes, um, as I mentioned earlier, when come, since the last meeting, we've seen um, basically elevated inv- inflation pressures. We've seen very strong labor market data without any improvement in labor supply. Uh, and we've seen strong spending data, too. So, and remembering that every dollar of asset purchases does increase accommodation. Um, we now look at an economy that's very strong and inflationary pressures that are high. And I, it, that, that, that means it's appropriate, I think, for us to discuss at our next meeting, which is in a couple of weeks, uh, whether it will be appropriate to wrap up our, our purchases a few months earlier, as I mentioned. All right. Um, Thank and, Thank but in those two weeks, we're going to get more data and we're going to learn more about the new variant. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Madam Secretary, you, uh, you and I don't agree on everything, but I have great respect for your intellect and, and, and your experience. Um, and I understand you have a job to do, but 
I would be remiss if I didn't point out that in, in my opinion, uh, there is no fair-minded person in the Milky Way who believes the infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better bill are not going to require the American people to in incur substantial debt. Now, here's my question. And I'm looking for a number. How much, in the Biden administration's opinion, is too much debt? At what point, as you incur debt, will the Biden administration say, okay, that's it. We can't borrow any more or it's going to hurt the American people. Well, first of all, I want to say that I disagree with your assessment of Build Back Better. It is fully paid for or even more than fully paid for. And CBO just completed a comprehensive review of it in which they found essentially the same, the same thing. And I believe it, it was important that it be fully paid for. Now, I, I think no single metric is appropriate for evaluating whether or not the level of uh, debt in an economy is reasonable and sustainable. And um, we used to, we're accustomed to looking at debt to GDP ratios and um, using those kind of metrics and looking around the world, many economists have found that debt to, debt to GDP ratios of 100 or more um, tend to be associated with um, significant problems. Are we at 100 but and more? We, we are, yeah. but we are in very different times, and that's why it's important to recognize there's no single metric that's right. And let, especially let me, let me, in a world of very low interest rates, it's appropriate to look at yes, the burden of that debt on society, which is better measured by the real interest burden of the debt. And that is exceptionally low, negative currently, but projected as interest rates normalize well, to rise I, to I'm a I'm going to run out of time. It's let, still let me, very let me moderate. ask you this, Madam Chair, quickly. I, you, you gave a great speech back in uh, September of 2019. It was actually an interview, and I, and I, I, I ordered a copy at the time. And um, you, you uh, I'm trying to find my copy here. You said, this is what you said. I'm going to quote. I thought this was, was, was uh, such a, a wise statement. You said, uh, the former Fed chair said she is not worried about the debt to gross domestic product ratio in the United States right now, but added, and I quote, I'm worried about the trajectory of where it's going. It's not stable. We're not living within our means right now. Debt's going to escalate, and that's going to create problems down the road. But then most important is the demographic wave that lies ahead of us is going to essentially, over the next 30 years, double spending on three programs. Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid is a share of GDP. And the increases, both because of the aging population and on the healthcare side, medical expenses, those things put us on a trajectory of a completely sustainable budget path. Now, that was when the debt was $17 trillion. 
It's $29 trillion. You're going to add trillions more through the Build Back Better. Why is well, that not true today? Well, is, I want to repeat again, Build Back Better is fully paid for and will not add to the debt or to deficits. Right. Um, and in fact, you, you we and I can't don't agree reduce it. We well, understand. It, CBO certainly agree, agrees with what I said. And I mean, we do have problems um, eventually in financing Medicare and Social Security, which need to be addressed. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Van Hollen is recognized for five minutes from Maryland. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Thank both of you for your service. Uh, Chairman Powell, congratulations on your renomination. Uh, and Secretary Yellen, I really want to pick up just where you left off. Um, I remember three years ago in both this committee and the Budget Committee uh, talking about the Republican tax uh, breaks for big corporations. Uh, at that time, the Congressional Budget Office did assess that it would add $2 trillion to the deficit. Is that not true? That is my recollection that that was the kind of number they came That was with. the CBO score. Yes. So it's interesting to hear so many of my colleagues who three years ago didn't give a damn about adding $2 trillion to the debt, now talking about the Build Back Better bill, which, as you said, doesn't add to the debt at the end of the 10 years. In fact, the Congressional Budget Office has already done its analysis. And the, one of the ways that it does not add to the debt is that we close some of those big yes. tax breaks for multinational corporations. Right. Uh, some like interesting uh, meaty Q&A uh, between the senators on Senate Banking, uh, uh, the Treasury Secretary, and the Fed Chief. Uh, Dow's bounced off of its intraday lows. S&P did briefly take out its Friday intraday lows. Uh, take a look at the sell-off here. Stocks are reacting. Steve Leisman's got some insight on what we just heard a few moments ago, Steve. Yeah, this is Fed Chair Powell. I, I think moving towards what he must have judged is the new center of his board, which is a board that our committee that wants to uh, accelerate tapering. We heard it from several Fed officials. Interestingly, uh, most of those comments came before Thanksgiving. And then even on Friday, Raphael Bostock, the Atlantic Fed president, still seemed to suggest that he was OK. And that's when we got the news about Omicron. Still seemed to suggest it was OK. What Fed Chair Powell said today is that he thinks the Fed ought to discuss an accelerated taper. Now, he did say we're going to get more information on the, uh, the new variant over the next two weeks. But my sense of this, Carl, is the default position uh, of the Fed right now is, is, is to certainly discuss accelerating taper and maybe uh, to actually accelerate it. And it really comes from the Fed chair's testimony where he seemed to suggest that the right, re the right reaction to, um, uh, <clears throat> to the, new, uh, the new variant may be less policy or less stimulus. Let's listen to what Fed chair Powell said. At this point, the economy is very strong and inflationary pressures are high, and, and it is therefore appropriate, in my view, to consider wrapping up the taper of our asset purchases, which we actually announced at the November meeting, perhaps a few months sooner. And I expect that we will discuss that at, at our upcoming meeting in a couple of weeks. And in case you didn't uh, get that the first time, he actually went back and and repeated that again later on uh, in response to another question from a senator, Carl. So um, and all this, again, comes from his testimony where he said, look, if you're going to have another round of a virus, you may have people not coming to work and that could exacerbate the supply chain problems. Right. But just to put a coda on it, Steve, you see a line 
from the comments last week, the last couple of weeks, from Clarida, Waller, Bostic, even Daly to some extent, and what Powell said today. Yeah, I mean, what's that Shakespeare quote? Uh, you know, if, uh, um, you know, so falls Caesar, you know, uh, about Brutus. I think if, if Clarida goes there, you rarely see a vice chair get way out in front of his chair. And so the idea that Clarida was saying it made you think, wait a second, maybe Powell's thinking it too. This idea of speeding up the taper, this idea of rate hikes uh, in, in the summertime. Uh, it is interesting, though, Carl, I think all the action right now, there's obviously action in the stock market, a lot of action in the two-year, which really just shot right up and kind of went back to where, not quite where it was pre-Thanksgiving, uh, but but right around the 55 or 54 range. I forget where it is right now, but it was certainly back up. And we're watching those Fed fund probabilities if they price back in that May rate hike, because now you got to do the calendar math, right? Okay, a few months early, they were going to end in May or June. Now they may end, I don't know if you do, I've got to do the math on $30 billion a month. It's, 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 it's twice as fast. They could end February, March. That would give them the flexibility to think about rate hikes. And you know what? Mm -hmm. Maybe if the Fed is seen as tougher on inflation uh, in, its, in its rhetoric and its jawboning, maybe it doesn't have to raise rates quite as quickly if it gets in position to do so. And perhaps markets uh, got that question as well, because we have seen them rebound from those lows. Steve Leesman, thank you so much. Let's turn back to Bob Peck. Uh, Bob, did the move surprise you? And I also wonder, something that Steve just raised, are we seeing a shift perhaps in how the Fed might respond to variants? If we don't see any further lockdowns, as President Biden suggested yesterday, is stimulus needed in the same way that it has been? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. The, the question of inflation comes up comes up a lot with investors. And I mentioned earlier about looking at the revisions that took place during the year of estimates. What we found really interesting is that revenue estimates continued to get revised upwards. And that happened all throughout the year. And earnings on the flip side went up, but not as much. And we think what you're seeing there is investors accounting for the increased inflation, spending, supply chain, having to pay workers more, and that getting baked in. So the ultimate real question for investors now is, is enough of the inflation baked into the estimates looking out at 22 and 23? Bob, it also occurs to me that I think we've seen a narrative shift over the past two, three years in tech, both on um, the hardware and infrastructure side in cloud and on the software side in productivity. And what I mean is uh, in cloud on the hardware side, hybrid has come to mean not entirely either on premise or uh, in the public cloud, but a combination of both. And we'll be hearing more from AWS's CEO on that soon. And then also when it comes to productivity software, omnichannel has meant that software is a part even of the in-store experience. How much of that factors into the growth that you expect from technology companies going forward from here? I, I think a ton. I think you're hitting it right on the head, John. I think you're going you're to see these hybrid platforms, hy hybrid models, quite honestly, even when we look at the, the recent e-commerce data, right? How much was done, you know, shopping in stores ahead of time. If you look at the the um, November numbers, November 1st, uh, yesterday, you know, e-commerce was up about 14%. I know the Cyber Monday numbers weren't as strong, but I think what you're seeing there is a little bit of um, hybrid right there with some doing shopping offline, some doing it online. And I think you're going to continue to see that across software, across the cloud, you're going to see the customer, the consumer ultimately trying to optimize their experience and the supplier, the tech provider trying to optimize experience and offering and give that customer. Bob, thanks for your insights this morning. Bob Peck, head Thank of you. internet banking at Wells Fargo. John.
And now let's bring in Ed Yardeni of Yardeni Research on this intraday move lower that we're seeing for stocks. Ed, uh, good to have you. Thank you. Uh, what do you make of not just the overall move, but perhaps on uh, you know, beneath the covers, what's moving more or less and how this relates uh, to the move that we saw Friday? Is it just uh, an echo of that or are there different moves uh, beneath the covers that you're seeing? No, I, I think it's a continuation of the uh, new storyline that we have as a result of the uh, new variant of this uh, COVID. Uh, on Friday, the sell-off was uh, the news that there is a variant. Uh, we didn't know much about it, and it uh, could be uh, uh, dangerous. But uh, again, no, not much was known about it. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. They are talking about the variant now in a question to Powell, so we want to go back sure. to the hearing. Sure. Another onslaught of a virus. We, we took the first wave. Now we're dealing with subsequent waves that are variants. So at what point do we just get back to uh, a, a, a more normal execution of Fed policy that's not influenced by maybe the next threat, as if, as if it's suggesting we're going to go back to where we were last year? I don't believe that most people think that we would treat a variant the way we had to treat this new virus that's among us. So at what point can we get away from uh, seeing the market, seeing the Fed appear to react based on uh, and, and implement policy that looks more like what we had to do last year with something new affecting our economy? You know, so we're not thinking, and I'm not thinking, that the, econ that the effects on the economy will be remotely comparable to what happened last March with the shutdowns or that there will be additional shutdowns. We've, we've tried to adapt. We're focused on maximum employment and price stability, and we've tried to adapt uh, our policy as we've moved along. We'll continue to do that. And, uh, you know, part of the world is, uh, I agree with you, we're going to see um, this, this disease being around probably for a long time. I think the economic effects over time will diminish. We have to be humble about our ability to predict this or to really understand. But we're, we're not at all thinking that, 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 we're, that we haven't made progress on the economy or that, uh, as you suggest. Um, well, I think it'd be helpful for the administration to maybe be more uh, uh, specific to the American people to, to understand that COVID's going to be among us. It's, it's a new virus. It's going to be here. We have to deal with it. We can't have talk or expectations that we would in any way react the way we did last year. Last year, rightfully, but now we have to deal with the fact that it's among us. Uh, Secretary Yellen, I'll have to... Uh, first, I'd like unanimous consent for a Washington Post <coughs> fact check on the... Uh, the uh, economists, the Nobel winners that uh, President Biden has cited as uh, 
the Build Back Better plan actually being non-inflationary. I think if you read further into the letter and you hear other comments by those economists, they say that longer term, it may reduce inflation, but shorter term, it may increase inflation. And so rather than drilling down on a question, my time has expired, I'd like unanimous consent to submit the fact check and just to, uh, to say, Secretary Yellen, I, I think that there are laudable goals in some of what's put into the Build Back Better plan, but I don't think that they're sustainable. I think that the way that they've been passed out of the House are problematic. And I tend to agree with uh, Senator Kennedy that we've got other pressing problems, promises that we've already made to the American people with respect to Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, that are promises that we've already made that if we continue to add more and more stressors on our debt and our deficit, those are gonna be promises that are broken. And then once we get that on sound footing, maybe we should consider other ways to help others. Without objection, so ordered. Senator Warren from Massachusetts is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So as you know, in the early 2000s, the Fed stood by and failed to use its authorities to regulate and supervise the biggest banks in this country. And the result was a financial crash that cost millions of families their jobs, millions their homes, millions their savings. That's why I believe that vigilant regulation is an essential part of the Fed's job. Chair Powell, you recently stated that it would be appropriate, quote, for a new person to come in and look at the current state of regulation and supervision and suggest appropriate changes, end quote. Is that still your position? Yes, uh, it Good. is. <clears throat> the press also reported this as your agreement to defer to the vice chair for supervision. So I want to ask you a specific example of how that deference would work in practice. If you're confirmed and if the new vice chair for supervision suggests a regulatory action that you disagree with, Will you bring that matter before the full Federal Reserve Board for consideration? So let me just say that the, the, what the law does is it get the law gives the vice chair for supervision the authority to set the regulatory and supervisory agenda. And I would expect to have a perfectly normal, good, constructive working relationship with a new vice chair for supervision. I would not see myself as, as stopping those kind of proposals from reaching the board, since the law seems to indicate that that's the job of the vice chair for supervision. Good. I'm just trying to be clear on, on your understanding of it. So you would bring that before the full board for consideration, even if you personally disagree? You know, that, that'd be my general intent, yes. Okay. I, I, I mean, I can't, I, I can't cover every possible conceivable situation, but, but yes, that's my understanding of how the... This is the only other office that has specific legislative grant is the vice chair for supervision, and, and that's what the job is. Okay, I appreciate that. So you're saying you would do it, and you would actually feel like you were legally bound to do it? I'd say that the, the, law, the law, that's how I read the law. Okay. <clears throat> if the vice chair for supervision recommends a regulatory action with which you disagree, such as undoing a rule that Vice Chair Quarles brought forth and that you voted in favor of it, what does it mean to defer 
under such circumstances? I just want to understand your thinking. Here. I, I, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I, I don't think I used the term defer. You, you mentioned that was a press report. Yeah. You know, the, we're we're a commission structure. Uh, the the person is not the comptroller of the currency, where they're the sole voice. Every vice chair for supervision and 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 those who held the job before there was a formal job. They have to convince the other members of the board, and that, that's how it works, and that's, that's how I would expect it to work going forward. And, and I appreciate that, but your specific language was that you would respect that authority, which is, I believe, why many, many in the press interpreted that as defer, and that's why I'm trying to understand what respect that authority, those were your words, means. You know, I, I would say a couple of things. First, respect the authority to bring these proposals. I also think a person who arrives nominated by the president, confirmed by this body with particular views, I, I would say that, that that person is entitled to a degree of deference, but I wouldn't overstate that. The person okay. still will have to convince the members of the board to vote for whatever that person is proposing. Okay, and then if I can, just one more example. If the person in this role proposed new capital requirements to incorporate banks' exposure to climate risks, would you vote for that? Would I vote for that? I'd, I'd, have, to, I'd have to see what, what you're really specifically talking about. Okay. Um, All right. It's very helpful. I appreciate your answers here. You know, during the last four years, while the Fed was chipping away at regulations piece by piece, New and emerging threats to our financial system continue to grow. I just think about the list right now. Climate change. Right now, climate change is on pace to depress the global economic output by as much as $23 trillion annually by 2050. Crypto. The market cap of cryptocurrency market is now $3 trillion, six times bigger than it was just a year ago. And this is explosive growth that is coupled with almost no regulation and no guardrails to protect either investors or our financial system. The crash scenario here writes itself. Non-bank financial institutions grow bigger by the day. BlackRock alone manages nearly twice as much money as the entire economy of Japan, while the Fed refuses to work to declare them a systemically significant financial institution. Growth and collateralized loan obligations, a new COVID variant, the list goes on. This is why I believe that the Fed must take a much more active role on regulation. Failure to do so puts our entire economy at risk. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Warren. Senator Haggerty of Tennessee is recognized. Thank you, Chairman Brown, Ranking Member Toomey. I appreciate your holding the hearing today. Uh, Secretary Yellen, Chair Powell, thank you for your testimony. Chair Powell, I want to congratulate you on your recent renomination. I look forward to uh, the, the hearing that's coming up. Uh, I also appreciate that uh, we're going to be seeing the Fed's report on the digital dollar soon. We've been long awaiting that. I think it's an opportunity for America to take a real lead in innovation. So thank you for that. Uh, Secretary Yellen, I'd like to pose my first question to you. Every move that President Biden has taken so far has seemingly improved Russia and Vladimir Putin's strategic position from capitulating on the New START Treaty's unconditional extension, to not fully enforcing mandatory sanctions to halt Nord Stream 2, we see Russia and Putin now with leverage and strength vis-a-vis -vis our partners in Ukraine. We have been uh, listening in on that Senate hearing 
dealing with a number of topics, including uh, how the Fed would deal with banks and before that, uh, how the Fed might address this variant and whether it would use the playbook from earlier uh, earlier in this pandemic scenario last year. Ed Yardeni from Yardeni Research still with us. Ed, uh, the indication from uh, Fed Chair Powell seemed to be that uh, the 2020 playbook would not be useful for a variant necessarily in 2021. Right. Um, but at the same time, uh, there is the question of a faster taper and potential interest rate hikes. So how much does this action that we're seeing c- cause you to want to revisit your playbook overall? Well, you know, we're uh, in a real roller coaster ride right now. On, on Friday with the variant announcement, uh, the market seems to have been discounting the possibility the Fed might actually slow the pace at which it was uh, tapering. Now, because of his comments, uh, the markets are thinking that, well, actually, he might accelerate the pace of tapering, and they might start raising interest rates uh, before the middle of next year instead of the second half of next year. So it's, uh, you know, you can really get whiplashed here if if, if you're not careful. But I I would stay invested in the market. I think what we're seeing here is the uh, Fed is indicating, uh, Powell is indicating, that the Fed is uh, more spooked about inflation than they are mm-hmm. about um, uh, the, uh, the, the pandemic situation. And he basically said he doesn't expect anything like what we went through in March and April of uh, 2020. And um, I think he's, uh, he's right. I mean, the Fed's been behind the curve on inflation, mm-hmm. and now they want to catch up with it. And that's, that's actually a healthy thing, especially if it starts bringing down some of these commodity prices, which... Uh, would be a leading indicator suggesting that uh, the Fed may not have to raise interest rates all that much to bring inflation down. Yeah, Ned, he talked about the stronger position that the economy is in. But at the same time, are we seeing sort of a knee-jerk reaction in the markets? Yes, Fed Chair Powell sounded a more hawkish tone, but he also said that he's monitoring the variant, the Omicron variant, much more closely, and he's going to know more in seven to ten days. So is the market perhaps getting ahead of itself right now? Well, I think the market's just jittery, uh, and uh, naturally, uh, when we have uh, a market that's had uh, this extraordinary run, with uh, Thursday, Thursday we were at all-time record high in the S&P 500. Uh, earnings have been very strong. The economy has been very strong, and there's a lot of profits, and valuations aren't, uh, aren't cheap. The market has been elevated, so there's room for people to take profits, especially here as uh, we're approaching the end of the year and people are starting to factor in uh, taxes so all in all, it's uh, just uh, the jitteriness is going to mean some volatility here. Uh, it looks like the uh, uh, the, the variant uh, uh, has uh, struck Santa Claus. You know, we're, we're, we all expect the Santa Claus rally this time of year, and that may not happen as a result of all this volatility. Hey, Ed, you know, one thing that is markedly absent today in Powell's commentary is any notion of uh, productivity uh, giving us uh, a, a mm-hmm. safety net or cushion from some of this. you got capital right. goods orders running. 20-plus percent above pre-COVID levels. I know you track this closely. Yes. I mean, yes. is that still a valid argument? Yeah, that's that's my position, is that uh, we're not going to have anything like the 1970s all over again because of the 1970s, productivity absolutely collapsed. We had a huge increase in the labor forces. The baby boomers ca- uh, came into the uh, uh, labor markets. This time around, we're seeing the baby boomers retiring and not being replaced uh, very rapidly by, by younger people. And so there's a real chronic shortage of labor and companies are scrambling to increase uh, productivity, and they've done an amazing job so far, as evidenced by record uh, profit margins. But look, uh, the, the Fed also has to respond to the 
to, to the news of the day. And the news of the day that spooked them the most is a, is a few days ago, we had the consumption deflator up 5%. And I think that's just getting too uncomfortably high above 2% uh, for them. And they want to show that um, they feel they've uh, accomplished what they wanted to, which was to uh, bring the unemployment rate down. And I think the, uh, the number that we're about to get here uh, in a few days on um, November employment is going to be very strong based on what I see in the initial unemployment claims. So he's, he's, he's uh, doing the right thing. I think he's uh, a little late, but uh, better late than never when, you, when you're dealing with inflation. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a, a lot of commentary this morning, especially you look at the labor differential this morning, that the Fed essentially can, can declare victory when it comes to employment. And I would Absolutely. imagine that you think this is going to win Powell some fresh fans. Yeah, I think so. I, I, look, I, I wrote a book not too long ago on uh, the, the Fed, and one of the chapters is called uh, Jerome Powell, Pragmatic Pivoter, and he's doing it again. He's very good at pivoting uh, just, just in the nick of time. All right, Ed, thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, let's bring in Steve Leisman for an update. And I, I'd like a reaction, yes, too, yeah. Steve, uh, uh, to what Yardeni just said. Um, I'm sorry, Carl. I have to admit, live on national television, I listened to the hearing, not Ed Yardeni, even though no, he's I think brilliant. Ed was, Ed was um, uh, appreciating Powell's pivot here, maybe a little bit late, but as you said, better late than never. Yeah, no, I think I heard him say something about the Fed was late to the inflation party. Now it's trying to catch up. And that's a good thing. I did hear that in one year. I actually did have the two things going at the same time. But listen, um, I, I, this is a surprise. Um, he is surprising markets here by saying he believes the Fed ought to indeed consider easing back more quickly on stimulus to the economy. The market was focused over here on the issue of the virus. He's talking about the inflation problem in response to a question. He said in Senate testimony, let's play it again. He said for the first time that the Fed should consider accelerating its taper. Is very strong and inflationary pressures are high and, and it is therefore appropriate in my view to consider wrapping up the taper of our asset purchases, which we actually announced at the November meeting perhaps a few months sooner. And I expect that we will discuss that at, at our upcoming meeting in a couple of weeks. So, Carl, Carl that, that came after his comments earlier in the day that uh, maybe the right answer to another round of or another wave of this virus is possibly not to uh, provide more stimulus, but to take it away because people could decide not to go to work. That could make the supply problems worse. Uh, you'll note that during the hearing, he did say that the big thing that the Fed missed was the supply bottlenecks, and that's the thing that's led to more inflation. So the idea that they would uh, provide stimulus, increase demand while you still have a supply problem, that could be exacerbating the inflation problem. I was thinking back on this, Carl. I believe it was Jim Bullard who over the years has done this. He kind of threw out a um, you know, a, a, a firebomb uh, by talking about this idea that maybe the Fed was doing more harm than good months ago. And I'm hearing gradually this idea maybe working its way to the center of the committee, which is maybe why in response to the inflation problem, they're talking about an accelerated taper. Okay. Uh, to your point, Steve, I think Yellen is discussing supply chain right now. Let's listen in. Ships um, waiting for many days to be able to um, offload their containers. They've agreed to uh, remain open 24-7, which they're now doing. And also, um, the administration has worked with major retailers um, that were leaving containers for long periods of time um, on the docks without picking them up. 
to um, make sure that they begin to expedite movement of those containers away from the ports. Um, the, the, in other areas, um, in Savannah, uh, the president has worked to establish locations away from the ports where containers could be brought, moved, and deposited to um, create more room uh, at the docks to keep uh, cargo moving. And so there are just a wealth of um, interventions and working really with private sector. These are private sector um, participants that are responsible for the supply chain, but bringing together parties, um, we're looking at ways that um, maybe we could um, work with states and cities to expedite the licensing, commercial driver's license, uh, to, to, ex to um, raise the supply of uh, it, truck drivers, which are in short supply. And of course, a lot of this is related to the pandemic, and it comes back to um, increasing vaccinations, boosters, get the pandemic under control so that um, demand patterns shift back toward um, more normal, toward services, and away from uh, good goods. Um, but there are a wealth of uh, interventions that the White House is uh, involved in. No, I appreciate that. I think there is also a role for Congress to continue to support not only the administration, but there's legislation um, that we could pass to actually help us address this as well, which is why I support the Supply Chain Resiliency Act uh, that has been introduced by me, several of my colleagues. Um, it, it creates an Office of Supply Chain Resiliency at the Commerce Department charged with monitoring, researching, and addressing vulnerable supply chains the office will provide loans, loan guarantees, and grants to small and medium manufacturers to allow them to address supply chain bottlenecks by expanding production. We should be prepared for this, knowing this has happened for the future, short-term and long-term. And so well, I long appreciate term your is comments. important as well. Thank you. I know my time is up. I will submit the rest of my questions um, uh, to you for future um, response as well. Thank you again. Thanks, Senator Cortez. Now, Senator Scott from South Carolina is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Ranking Member, for uh, host, host, holding this hearing this morning. Thank you to the guests uh, for being here with us this morning. I was thinking about the conversation I had over Thanksgiving with some South Carolinians about the consequences of elections, and we've heard over and over again that elections have consequences. Elections have consequences. Perhaps no finer point that elections have consequences is simply losing a single seat in Georgia. Continue, we continue 5th. to follow the testimony, the and we do see the Dow Industrial Georgia. average heading Great closer towards the lows of the session. The Nasdaq also year. extending losses down one and seven tenths of a percent at the, more, at the moment. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's bring in Megan Shu, head of investment strategy at Wilmington Trust Investment Advisors. Megan, Powell's tone perhaps surprising, but markets they were already shaking on these variant shaky on these variant concerns. Uh, plus, as Bob Peck mentioned earlier, we are near record highs. Valuations have run up. Uh, what do you make of the moves today? Are they knee jerk? Um, are they overdone? What do you think going forward? Well, I think that what's happened with the Omicron variant is that it's really blown open the uh, a wide range of possibilities for the next few months. And I think what we're hearing today from Chair Powell is that there's also a wide range of possibilities for monetary policy. And he has really done, I think, a phenomenal job of trying to telegraph what the Fed is thinking what they're likely to do, particularly when it comes to the taper, so that it's not an alarming event. And I think he did uh, a very good job of that in starting liftoff for the for the taper, rather. Um, but going forward, I think it serves markets well to increase optionality. And I think that's really all that's going on here. Um, I think he is, you know, there's been a loud chorus in terms of an acceleration of the taper, perhaps an earlier start to rate hikes. And Chair Powell is acknowledging that and, and really letting the markets know that there is a possibility of an earlier start to taper, mm -hmm. an earlier liftoff of rate hikes. We continue to believe that the trajectory of rate hikes is more important than the date of liftoff. And I think that what you could see is that this ends up being better for markets if there is an earlier start uh, to hiking rates, but a shallower rate hike cycle that's a better outcome for markets. And so I think we're trying to all digest this. Higher and wider range of possibilities means more volatility. You're now looking at perhaps a slowdown, but also maybe higher rates. Um, so you're going to probably be hitting the market from both ends, which I think is what we're seeing today in terms of cyclicals, taking it on the chin, but also tech selling right. off as well. So you're talking about perhaps earlier but shallower rate hikes. Steve Leesman brought up the idea a few moments ago that if the, TED, the Fed tapers more quickly, that could actually afford it more time to push off rate hikes. Is that a possibility as well? Would that be positive for the markets? I think it, it would be positive in the sense that you might have a, you know, an, get the taper out of the way so that that's one less thing that we um, add to investor uncertainty. And then just focus on rate hikes, perhaps giving more time to to delay. I, I think it's probably more likely, in my view, that if we get an earlier end to the taper, we're probably also seeing an earlier liftoff. But again, that doesn't mean that the Fed has to be much more aggressive. We're baking in about one hike um, per quarter with a terminal Fed funds rate of around two, maybe two and a quarter. Um, and I think that that is a an environment where the market can continue to do well. We think the economy continues to be supported by three important pillars, the consumer, CapEx, and a very important inventory restocking cycle that, that's already taking hold. So we're watching all of that. We think that the economy can withstand it, but certainly the, the Omicron variant creates a lot of uncertainty over the next few months.
Uh, Megan, how do you factor tech into that? Um, because there are all kinds of arguments out there that tech is in itself, particularly certain kinds of technology, uh, deflationary. And it, it certainly seems that investors are turning toward some of uh, those, say, software uh, names and productivity names when this uncertainty uh, occurs. So how does that factor in for you? Yeah, absolutely. We've definitely seen a strong uh, positive correlation between cases rising in terms of COVID-19 and tech outperformance. And so I would think that that would be in play here, um, particularly as we see maybe some just further doubts sown in terms of those reopening sectors and consumers getting out there um, to do different activities, to travel, a lot of the, the reopening type of plays. I think that tends to benefit technology because it means that that tech, that productivity, that hybrid lifestyle is certainly with us for the time being. I think what might be a little bit in question over the next few days is, is as I said, if we're talking about uh, a rising in cases in terms of the Omicron variant, but also a perhaps more hawkish Fed, that does create a bit of a, you know, wh which one wins out. And I think it's just going to add to more volatility. We still like areas of technology. We're neutral overall. And I would definitely avoid those highest flying, most overly, um, uh, most highly valued, debatable, I guess, whether they're overvalued, but those most highly valued pockets of technology, there's still a lot of value. Um, if you look in some of the social media platforms, the ad base, the cloud platforms, um, we still like those areas of technology over a three to five year time horizon. You know, it's interesting talking about uh, the comments today about tapering. You know, historically, Powell has taken great pains, Megan, to separate the notion of a taper from the notion of higher rates. He hasn't really been as clear in separating those two today. Well, I think that in all else equal, um, they would be separate. But in the current inflationary environment where the last inflation print was over 6% and there's concerns that that will stay elevated or continue to rise, not our base case, but certainly upside risks um, to the inflation outlook. I think when you're looking at that backdrop, it's harder. It becomes much harder to separate the end of taper and the start of rate hikes, because the only reason, uh, in my view, that the Fed would be accelerating taper at this point is because inflation is so much of a concern that they really want to give themselves the option of hiking rates. So I don't think it is set in stone that when the taper ends, whenever that might be, the next move, the next immediate move has to be a rate hike. But it's certainly um, more linked today to give, again, just coming back to that optionality. I think Chair Powell is, is a fairly humble person, in my opinion, in recognizing the uncertainty and, and certainly the fact that inflation has been more persistent and higher than many people first expected when we, when we thought of it as transitory. Um, but today, I think he's just re recognizing that there's a wide range of possibilities that are, that are made even wider by the new variant. Megan, thanks for being with us today. We should note, too, that the Dow is now down 600 points, John, as losses accelerate. Yeah, that's not quite 2 percent, though. But with that, let's bring in Mike Santoli again. Uh, Mike, the market has run up quite a bit, particularly the Dow. The numbers are big, so we always got to keep that in context. But what's your read on uh, what, what the action is telling us throughout the morning as we head toward noon? 
Yeah, I mean, clearly, John, first of all, yesterday's bounce was uh, for, certainly respectable, but not necessarily persuasive. And I think that's the context coming into today. There were more stocks down than up uh, yesterday. And so the, the, the market, I always say, after a 2% downside jolt like we got on Friday, it remains in a little bit of a uh, testing phase. It's in a, a concussion protocol, right? So that's your backdrop. Then when you do get uh, this sort of apparent effort by the Fed chair uh, to assert that they are going to be a little more determined to get the tapering done. I think it's a psychological ding. People thought they might be getting a little bit of clearance on that front. I think it does tell you that Chair Powell and the rest of the Fed does not see this asset buying every month is having a much of a tangible economic effect. It's almost purely a signaling uh, instrument to say that they're not going to uh, go ahead with rate cuts, rate hikes uh, very soon. So they want to get that out of the way. I don't think that in itself should be that concerning. And then we have this fog of war when it comes to the variant. And so uh, that's why we have some uncertain activity. The testing phase I mentioned, we're still around uh, Friday's lows in the S&P 500. This is a pretty good purge today. You have the vast majority of New York Stock Exchange volume, more than 90 percent to the downside. So some people are going to look at that and say, good, we needed uh, a fuller flush. But there is a lot of house money out there. You mentioned how much the index is up and therefore the instinct to both take profits and also uh, try to optimize on the tax front by selling the year-to-date losers or those that are down the most from their highs. That's all going on today. So it's not a matter of making excuses. It's just a, a little bit of an uptick uh, in, in the uncertainty about the policy path and the, uh, and the growth trajectory, along with you know, a market that was uh, knocked back on its heels by a you know, volatility spike. Uh, and that does cause investors, professional and otherwise, to sort of just reassess their equity exposures, which have been very high for months right now. Yep. Uh, at 45.69, Mike, we've taken out Friday's low yeah. on the S&P. 30-year yield below 1.8. That's pretty much the low for the year. Uh, your point's good, though, about the volatility and the tax loss selling. I wonder, I mean, what kind of, how would you characterize the degree to which we're seeing sort of non-economic selling? It's certainly an undercurrent here. Uh, you know, again, I, I, I hesitate to say, oh, this is all mechanical stuff, because when the market was clicking higher every single day and there was no fresh news and you had, you know, the growth stocks that were going up just because they were a SaaS company, nobody was saying, you know, there's a lot of non-economic buying going on here. I'm not really <laughs> sure we should cash these checks. But it is happening right now. And I do think emotions run higher on the downside than on the upside. And, uh, and, and I do think that the dip buying instinct is going to be there. But it might need a bit of a, of a fuller uh, pullback to get there. I mentioned before, 50-day average in the S&P, also the September 2nd high. It's just a few points lower right now down in the 45.30. So we'll see if that matters if we get to it. <laughs> yeah, Mike, it's, it's like a roller coaster. Nobody screams on the way up, right? Uh, <laughs> joining in now is Krishna Mimani, uh, Lafayette College Endowment CIO. Uh, Krishna... Help us think through what we see happening in the market uh, this morning and in the context of what we saw happen on Friday. How much of this is new information that's causing you to rethink how you look at a portfolio and how much of it is emotional? Well, it's, it's really not emotional. It's the markets are reacting to a new factor in the, in the marketplace, which is the new variant. I think what is perhaps exacerbating the situation is, uh, uh, is Powell's comments, but that's, but Powell's comments really are not the driver at the moment. It's the, it's, it's a, it's a virus related thing. But from a longer term perspective, however, 
Powell's comments matter a great deal because I think the Fed is now in a bind. It, it can't uh, get uh, the, the markets to where it, where it would like it to be for, uh, for support purposes because of inflationary pressures, and that's not going away. So I think this is the first time in probably 15 years that the Fed finds itself in this situation, and therefore they're keeping all their options open. And, and that is going to be something that is going to hang over the market for a lot longer than what we may have anticipated even two, three, four months ago. So what are you going to do differently here? Well, I, I think this is so. The first thing is the instinctive buying the dip is something that you have to you have to restrict yourself in some way. That's one. And second, it's really the opportune time again in a long time for people to be looking at their overall risk level and make sure that they are comfortable with that uh, that level of risk because you can have a very meaningful drawdown without much happening uh, if if we get another some news on virus. So somebody comes out and says something with with authority, the markets can react to that. So having a good handle on your risk, rather than trying to uh, uh, trying to buy the dip, I think that's the overarching uh, uh, thesis at the moment. So Krishna, what would have to happen with the Omicron variant to potentially change Powell's latest tone to perhaps reconsider an accelerated taper? Is there a scenario in which you could see the Fed keeping its policy in place? Well, I, I think the accelerated taper is pretty much given. So the real question is, when does the Fed raise rates? And for that, we probably have six months of time in terms of, you know, for the virus issue to play itself out. But I think we will have a good handle on the situation, at least for the interest rate outlook, relatively quickly once we have some idea within, let's say, in a few weeks as to what the hospitalization rate and mortality rate of the new virus is. If we get beyond that, I think the, the, what the interest rate markets are telling you is inflationary problems from a longer-term perspective will probably go away, but not anytime soon. And that's the dichotomy that we have to deal with. Krishna, thank you. Um, as we continue to watch these uh, markets. Uh, overall, the indices have been selling off. We were uh, near session lows, a little bit off of that, Carl. And, uh, you know, it's interesting just looking at tech. Apple still up better than 1%. It's the one sizable stock I see that's doing that. Uh, yeah, mega cap tech, definitely uh, the only thing working in specifically Apple D in a tape that's almost uh, uniformly red. Yeah, you know, these names sort of seen as tech value, if you think about that taper being accelerated and potentially interest rates rising sooner than expected. They have held up, Carl, over the last few weeks and months better than some of the stay-at-home names, those growth momentum names that we've been watching so closely. Uh, so we got, we're at levels right about the low uh, from Friday. Um, we'll keep an eye on energy. Oil briefly got below 66 uh, which is interesting. That's about almost a $4 uh, drop. And, of course, uh, Powell, to his point earlier, we still got a lot of data headed our way. ADP tomorrow, the jobs number on Friday, uh, some PMIs in there as well, along with earnings. Don't forget uh, CRM tonight and Benioff on Mad Money. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.